Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You worked on uh, a film called The Young Americans and, and you did a, a song for that called Play Dead, which featured you know Bjork on there. And yes. I, I was listening to that recently and it, it seems like your path has always kind of led to Bond in a way because that, that song sort of feels like an unused Bond song. So, you know, going from there to where you are now, did you ever think that like you'd wind up first of all landing the gig and then second of all among many of the fans being the definitive bond composer outside of john barry well did i think that would ever happen yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> perfect there we go that's good answer next question <laughs> everyone and welcome to episode five of the fourth wall i am your host griffin schiller and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from directors actors you name it this show is of course part of the playlist podcast network where you can find our weekly film discourse show along with our other shows such as indie beat be real and much more whatever your fix is i'm sure we got you covered today is a very special episode. I am so excited for this one because my guest is none other than legendary James Bond composer David Arnold. And although David Arnold is best known for his work in the Bond franchise, he recently received his second Emmy nomination for his work on the BBC and Amazon adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Good Omens, which features some of his most unique and diverse orchestration to date. Arnold is no stranger to working with the BBC as he also scored four seasons of the acclaimed series Sherlock and he's teaming up with Sherlock showrunner Stephen Moffat again to compose the music for the upcoming Dracula series. His film compositions range from 1998's Godzilla to John Singleton's Shaft and to Independence Day. However, Arnold is most revered and beloved for his exceptional work on five James Bond films. Having been hand-selected by the legendary Bond composer John Barry after an incredible Bond cover album called Shaken and Stirred. Seriously, go look that up if you haven't uh, listened to it already. Arnold is considered by many fans to be the gold standard when it comes to the music of 007, second only to Barry himself. As a massive James Bond fan, this was a real treat. And during our conversation, we got to gush over our love of Bond. We discussed his working relationship with Neil Gaiman on Good Omens, his work on Sherlock. He gives us a little taste of what we can expect from the Dracula miniseries and much more. Before we get into the conversation, I do want to let you all know that this interview was conducted by not only myself, but my co-host on my James Bond podcast, The Words Are Not Enough, Brody Saravelli. And so that's why there are three voices instead of two. But enough chit-chat. Without further ado, here is our conversation with David Arnold. 
first of all, just want to say uh, congratulations on the, you know, the Emmy nominations for Good Omens. I mean, that's that's incredible. Once again, you know, coming off of your work on Sherlock and then going in once again with the BBC and getting another uh, nomination for this series. I, I guess, like, how does it feel? You know, <laughs> it's 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 very pleasant. Uh, <laughs> um, but nothing else happens. I mean, a, a gold-plated Bentley never turned up outside the front door saying, we are now going to whisk you off somewhere exotic. <laughs> um, I, got, I, got, I got a phone call saying you've been nominated twice, and it was brilliant, and then I had to get back to work. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, it's better than not being nominated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, my, it's, it's, my, it's my initial response. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it's, it's funny because like I, I know when I when I when I got a Grammy, I don't think I really appreciated what was going on, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and now I sort of think about it in terms of well, of all the programs that were eligible, um, you know, that people liked it enough at least to say that about it, which is which is lovely. But Good Omens is kind of a world of its own, you know. It's uh, it, it, it it's kind of a, it it's got a sort of fandom. Uh, which I think is a word that we're allowed to use. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> uh, 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 that are uh, sort of very, very protective and, and caring of it, mm-hmm. uh, and seeing seeing it sort of spread amongst people who really seem to appreciate it is 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 one of the greatest things. I get, I mean, I get sent a lot of people doing, you know, learning instruments for the first time and 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 you know picking up a ukulele or a, or a flute or a, you know trying to do piano and learning and learning the theme and and sending me that and it's it, it's odd that you know i had i had that quite a lot of that on 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 uh, on sherlock as well mm-hmm. um and i and i think that you know i think that in a way the shows have got a kind of a sense of a connection in that you know they're about uh you know beings that that, that don't quite fit in that find you know some kind of solace w- with another being who doesn't quite fit in so mm-hmm. i think for the you know maybe for the for those that feel a little bit like that it's a it's a touchstone um uh you know and, and brilliant performances obviously but uh, oh, yeah. and great and great and great writing but in, in short answer to the question is i'm so extraordinarily happy to be considered to be in the same you know group of those you know these other people uh that have got nominated um it's, I suppose it might be a bit different being in London, um, uh, you know, because in, in LA, you know, you really feel it when these things happen. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But but in London, everyone's worried about other things. So yeah, <laughs> yeah you can't imagine what. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, you're not seeing billboards of uh, you know Aziraphale uh, and uh, Crawley everywhere. So. <laughs> no. Well, we did when they uh, when the show came out. I mean, they, I think Amazon did an incredible job in publicizing it you know i mean i i certainly couldn't have wished for anything better as far as the marketing was concerned and i mm-hmm. think probably neil and neil and doug the director would would uh, would agree they did an extraordinary job and were extraordinarily committed to the program and to the tone of it and to the feel of it and to the spirit of it and that made such a huge difference um you know to, to feel that you were everyone was on the same side yeah, for sure. Well, and, and you mentioned fandom earlier. Uh, was was Good Omens like something that you were you know overly familiar with, or was, was it something that you um, were a fan of? I guess you could say. Uh, I'm. I had this conversation with David Tennant um, actually at the premiere of the show, mm. where we both admitted to each other that neither of us had read it before. <laughs> 
before we got sent the script. No, but obviously we were, you know, we were both very aware of Neil and yeah. And, yeah. And, and the work that he'd done and, and Douglas I'd worked with before. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was very aware of Neil's stuff and had read some of it, but Good Omens was one that uh, that had passed me by uh, and uh, wasn't in my, the crosshairs uh, at all. Um, and so when I was asked... Initially, Douglas asked me, uh, he was going up for the job as the director, and then he asked me if he got it, would I do it? And I said, of course, <laughs> mainly because I love working with Douglas, you know, and I thought, mm-hmm. like, well, if he's going to do something, it's going to be a good experience. Uh, yeah. And then when he got it and he called me, I said, well, that's amazing. And I think Neil had to okay everything. Uh, and we went to the first read through, uh, and the thing was just a joy from that point on. Um, it felt I felt like I connected to it and to him and to the idea of it and to the spirit of it and to the soul of it um, right from the get-go. And you felt like you had joined a, a, a family of sorts. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a feeling that, that actually follows that show round. Um, and, you know, the more people contact you about it, the more you realise that, uh, you know, it does, it, it, it has had a huge effect on people from very, you know, many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's lovely to be a part of something good. It's always lovely to be a part of something good because yeah. mm-hmm. the more good there is, then I think that's better for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and I kind of want to get into a bit of your your process here because you you've mentioned in the past how your your process usually often involves, you know, writing a song as a way to create a melody. And even if the song itself doesn't end up in the project you're working on, you kind of go through those those motions uh, nonetheless. And so I I was wondering if you still utilize that process while working on something like Good Omens that you know, you have like the lullabies here and there, but it, it really is this diverse palette of, of sounds. Uh, there is an awful lot of detail and an awful lot of, uh, of, of uh, sort of dissonant, dissident, uh, differing material. Uh, you know, there's so many different sort of styles and approaches, but uh, the, the, the trick I think with this was because it was such a vast canvas, you know, going across not only time and space but also you know heaven and hell mm-hmm. uh uh and dealing with people who were who weren't human um but inadvertently or maybe actually advertently displaying you know the most human traits of all uh was um that's where i think a central theme is essential uh it feels like it's you know it sits there with its arms out and you can drape whatever you want off it and and it will hold it up and luckily it was you know it was for a show that supported all these different kinds and in fact demanded all these different kinds of approaches but i always feel that when you know when when if if a title sequence happens i'm always happy because the title sequence allows you to you know to to show you know to lay the the table of you know out in front of people and it's a it's it's like the shop window of the uh, of the show you know you, when people walk past it it's it's got to kind of catch their eye and then make them want to go in you know they want to know what's inside and they want to know what things are and what it's about and uh, it needs to beckon people in and say this is the world you're about to enter i mean in a way writing a central theme tune writing a song it's the same thing except you just put words to the uh, the one that's the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious how um involved Neil Gaiman was in in the whole process and how the collaboration kind of worked between you and him. It was a sort of three way uh, process in as much that Douglas and Neil were 
pretty much inseparable as a creative, you know, coupling on the show. And the process was one of the simplest ones that we've ever had. It was they would, uh, Neil and, 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 and Doug would come over with the latest cut of the episode that we were talking about. And we would spend a day talking about everything we want to achieve. And two weeks later, they would come back, sit down in the same chairs. We would talk about the world and everything and life. And then we would go through the terrifying moment where I had to press play and play them <laughs> the, the, the demos of, of what I've written. And we would go through and they would uh, give me their notes and we would make whatever adjustments needed to be made and, and talk the universe and everything, um, have a cup of tea and play some music. And it was, it was an absolute delight. They were extraordinarily supportive and encouraging to go to places of, of extremes. Um, you know, Doug's main note is whatever you think you should do, do something different. Uh, you know, go go further, make it odder, use different, mm -hmm. you know, invent different sounds, create different sounds, build new instruments, make the whole world of good omens, a, you know, a, a thing that is, um, you know, unusual. And, and, uh, and we did go all over the place with it. And... That's why every day was fascinating and every day was a joy on it because A, I'd love the show, B, I love them. Uh, so writing music for that sort of thing, which just says, give me everything you've got, it's, it's fabulous, you know, absolutely fabulous. A gift of a show and a totally unique, I've never really seen anything like it. Yeah, um, I, I would also mm -hmm. agree with that. <laughs> um, you know, whether you whether you like it or not, I appreciate that not everyone uh, will will like it. But um, I think if you do, there's an awful lot there to like. Sure. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself and I, I had a lot of fun with it. And I, I agree with you. It definitely was different from anything I had really seen uh, on TV in a, in a while. Yeah, I liked it because it was its own world. It, yeah. was, it was totally confident in its oddness and its otherworldliness and its... Mm. You know, the, the ordinary was extraordinary. You know, the world that it created was was totally believable. And I loved that it had the courage to end, you know, to, yeah. and to conclude. And there was not a, there's not an ounce of cynicism in it. Yeah. And I liked its central message about, you know, ultimately what real love and friendship is all about. Um, you know, because it's, it's not very often that the films and TV shows are about something you know there are lots of tv shows where things happen but i'm always very nervous about you know when i see a show where a lot of stuff is happening but i don't really know what it's about you know yeah. what's what's this actually about i say i've seen the monster or i've seen the car chases or i've seen you know i've seen the fights and i've seen the stunts but what's it actually about because that's what music is music is about getting to the heart of what's actually the story what actually is this about you know and sometimes it's a it's a tricky one to mine you know sometimes you have to dig deep to try and find out what that was but ultimately you have to make your own mind up and fingers crossed that it matches what other people think jumping off of what you're saying about music sort of representing what something is about with something like sherlock was it difficult sort of finding what sherlock was about because you have so much other i guess media on the character already that is sort of determining the way you think about the character um, influencing you in a certain way. So was there a, did you have to sort of take a step back and just go, 
okay, what does this mean to me rather than what these other pieces of media mean to me? Well, I suppose the thing with Sherlock is that musically there was no sort of heritage particularly attached. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know there's been great work done on films and programs about Sherlock Holmes, but if you were walking down the street and you said to someone, what's the Sherlock Holmes theme? Uh, you know, I'm not sure that anyone would be able to whistle anything at you. So from a musical identification point of view, that was in a way up for grabs. You know, it would withstand a rewriting and a re-understanding. And of course, it was the first time that we'd had a Sherlock that was in a contemporary uh, situation. So you don't have to worry about it being, um, you know, like a period piece, like like most of the others have been. Yeah. Um, uh, and of course, we're with, with with Michael Price. So you know, we had a discussion about uh, you know what the music should be doing. And there is you know there is music for for Sherlock's sort of deduction process. You know, when his brain was 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 firing at a million miles an hour, and mm-hmm. everyone else was moving in slow motion. Uh, and how John's theme is kind of like an inverted version of Sherlock's theme, uh, and that they're both you know in a way emotionally sort of inseparable regardless of you know the things that were happening to them you know the 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 core relationship was always um rock solid you know even when things were bad you felt that the show was still about to a greater extent them uh, Mm -hmm. and, and and their relationship and that was a sort of fascinating thing to to be focused on because the 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 crime solving felt like an, an additional part to the core of the story and the heart of the story which is about them and that's what that's what i found uh, the most interesting but the fact that there, you know the fact that, that there wasn't a sort of sherlock theme you know that people would identify as him uh, is was always good because you know then it gives you a chance to write something for them I mean, without sounding like I'm lavishing you with too much praise, I think you have created the definitive Sherlock sound, at least for me. Um, I mean, that, that is an incredible theme and an incredible show. And I guess jumping from there, um, another character that you are working on right now, actually, Dracula, has a sort of similar pedigree where there is no yes. sound associated with them, but they've existed for so long in the popular yes. culture. Uh, yeah. So what, what exactly can we expect from that score from you? Well, it's, I mean, it's very early days at the moment. You know, we're not that far uh, into it. Uh, and I think we're probably reasonably tightly embargoed, uh, you know, <laughs> to what we can say about it. For sure, but, yeah. But, but the idea of uh, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, a, at the same time a familiar and unfamiliar Dracula. Uh, and... Um, uh, again the thing is there have been so many incarnations of the character but as far as i can remember there's not a a theme which people would immediately associate with him so yeah a chance to again kind of create you know our dracula our world you know this 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 version of it will you know hopefully be of itself uh and would be true to the character that we see on the screen and the things that he says and he does um, um, and uh, we, we're creating uh, trying again trying to create uh, sounds that you wouldn't necessarily expect um, you know there's there's an obvious uh, you know or, or orchestral element to it you know there'll be a, a traditional element to it but um, but there's also other things going on um, uh, just to you know, to try and illustrate uh, from 
the viewer perspective something about him. Um, again, trying to get to the heart of what it's about rather than what's happening. Just sort of taking a step back now from your work at the BBC and um, on television, uh, I guess in a more holistic sense uh, with your career, was film and television composition always your, uh, I guess, your end game, Or did you start off wanting to do more like songwriting and stuff like that? Uh, do you know what? I've got an I've got an odd relationship with this idea of a career because mm-hmm. it it feels like it's something that other people have or <laughs> think of as something that you should aspire toward. Um, like certainly over the years, I've had plenty of people suggesting what I shouldn't shouldn't do as a career move. Uh, I have to say my agent isn't one of them because he understood right from the get-go. And, I've, you know, I've been, wor- I've been working with him since 1994 and he's the only agent I've ever had and he's the only agent I'd ever want. Uh, he's understood right from the beginning that I- I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Uh, and what is valuable to me is what am I doing today because that's the only currency that I have to spend is how I spend my time. Uh, and if I'm not, filling that time with something that I'm enjoying, uh, then I struggle to see the reason why I should do it. And so the, the, the notion that somehow a good career move would be to spend four months doing something you don't like doesn't seem to make sense to me. Because what does that do? I mean, it might, it might improve your visibility. But if it means just getting the opportunity to do more things like that that you don't like... <laughs> Um, I just struggle. I just struggle with the idea. You know, it's an odd thing. I think the idea of a career. I, I I love being as creative as I can be, and I love doing it with music. I, you know, I mean, I love talking about things. I love, uh, you know, sort of story. I love, I love, I love theatre. I love, you know, I love plays. I love so much to do with the performing arts. Um, uh, that I don't mind which one I do, as long as when I'm doing something during the day, it's like this is great and I love doing it. And I realize that that's a, you know, it's a fairly rarefied atmosphere to be existing in when you can make that choice. But from day one, I sort of made that choice. And that meant that, you know, there is a price to be paid for every decision that you make. And mm-hmm. my, you know, the decision that I made very early on to, to, to make every effort I could to just do some, to do things that I liked with people that I like as much as I could meant that I didn't, you know, have any money, uh, and I didn't go anywhere and I didn't own anything. Uh, and I couldn't really do anything else other than, you know, be in a room and, and, and write music or practice or play, or, um, you know, there was no resources for me to do anything else. Um, so that was the cost of that. Um, but I've always been like, you know, it's always been like that for me. I've never done anything, um, just for the money. And I, I, and, and I never would, because I think the time is far more precious to me than than anything else and so when when a project like good omens turns up which is very time consuming but also you know makes your life better because you're doing it Mm -hmm. on on a daily basis you know i mean i couldn't have been happier doing what i was doing on a show that i loved with people that i loved working with it was um yeah it was exceptional in that regard and um those are, the, those are the reasons why I'm, I, I, I make those decisions. So, as I said, I do struggle with the idea of, of career as such because what is what is career other than a you know you look back and it's a collection of all the things that you've done, um, and if those things are full of joy and and you know happiness and positive memories, then you know maybe it's a career you think you shouldn't have had. But um, 
Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 happy doing what I like to do. And in answer to your question, uh, it's everything. It's writing music. <laughs> it's writing music for a play. It's doing the Olympics. It's writing a musical. It's writing songs. It's making records. It's arranging for other people's gigs. It's guesting on things. It's doing concerts. It's you know, I mean, all all those things. And I think each one informs the other in terms of you know the value <laughs> of it is that you learn so much. And you know, they're all different muscles that you can flex. And and uh, I think it means that you bring something new to the other things the idea of doing like film after film after film after film is is anathema if you'll pardon the good aiming related part <laughs> oh i love it yeah well and it 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 seems that you're just i mean just based off of that response you you're really passionate about working with people that you enjoy working with and that you can you know bounce ideas off with uh yeah really. who'd want to work with who'd want to work with anyone who wasn't like well of course yeah absolutely some of us have and i've done it yeah a couple of times. <laughs> like, well, you know never again right but the fact that that's like you know you probably talk to to many composers who would be you know they they would go from a uh, collaborator to collaborator and working on projects not necessarily uh you know, because they enjoy working with the person, but because they, you know, it's part of their career path and like you having the luxury or, or really just like having the, the mindset of I'm only going to work with the people that I want to work with because yeah. the best art comes out of it, I, I think is yeah. incredible. But you would have yeah. to ask those people what, you know, what are you calling a career path? What right. are you calling a career? What does right. that mean? What does that mean to you? Is it just getting another job? Is that what it is? It's like making sure that you just don't stop working. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know. You know, it's like I, I do. I'm really curious as to the idea of what a career actually is. You know, I hadn't really thought yeah. about it until you'd asked. Yeah. But now, I'm, now I'm thinking about it. Um, maybe I don't want to talk about anything else other than <laughs> what. How can we identify? You know, maybe that's something you should ask. You know, when you do other composers, you should ask them like, what do you think a career is? Well, you know, I I wish we had asked that uh, when we talked to Lauren Balf actually last year. That would have been a fun <laughs> question to hear his response on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, he's on Twitter. You can ask him. Yeah, ask absolutely. Him. <laughs> we'll, just tweet well, okay. Speak, bringing up Lauren Balf, we we have to get to the bottom of this and your Twitter interactions with him. What is with those sausage rolls? <laughs> there is a chain of what could be considered a media-led opinion of. Uh, sort of a bakery goods uh, uh, takeaway place, which would 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 largely be cons- con- you know perceived as low rent, uh, uh-huh, okay. and, and they're called Greggs, and they basically do like they do like hot pies, sausage rolls. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a cheapish fast food um, place. I mean, I I I'd never really been, but I like pies, and so if I was going to go a pie, I'd definitely get one. From there, anyway. So they famously released um, last year, I think, uh, a vegan sausage roll. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, I've been vegetarian for uh, thirty-five years, I think. Uh, I wish I looked like one, but I don't. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it, do, it doesn't stop you eating, um, you know, curries uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and pizza. Um, but um, anyway, so flirting with with veganism, uh, you know, moving sort of closer towards that bit by bit. Uh, and they bring out a vegan sausage roll. Now, I hadn't had a sausage roll for, again, you know, like 35 years. Yeah. Uh, and, I was, and I was reading reports about this particular one. Uh, and I was driving, I was driving on a, on a motorway service station anyway, and they had a Greg's at the service station. I thought, right, I'm just going to get one. Uh, and I swear to God, it was as I remembered uh, every great 
meat sausage roll I'd ever had when I was a kid. It tasted huh. exactly like that. It was so odd that they managed to make that work. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, Lawn, I think, is probably... He's 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 probably as close to a vegan as uh, as, as we're going to be able to get him. He's not. But, uh, <laughs> right, right. I'm sure, I'm sure if you did, I'm sure if you did dangle a sausage in front of him, he'd he'd, he'd go after it like a, a donkey would a carrot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, and and I think I, as I remember, and I can't quite remember everything, but. Um, I think I was just encouraging him to try one, and I'm not sure. Can you remember whether or not he said he'd, he'd had one? Or, I, I can't remember. I, I, I think it took. I think it took a while, but yeah. he eventually got around to it. He was just uh, you. You prodded him a few times, and then he finally yeah. got around to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, though, it's like once. You, I mean, there's there's some there's some amazing vegan food now coming out in uh-huh. this country, especially, uh, and it's making it much much easier to be like that, and and it would mean that you would miss you know, the things that you think you would miss a lot less because, you know, the substitutions are, are so close and so incredible. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it might be that, you know, it feels like that to me because it's been such a long time since I've had them. But, but you know, the greatest compliment you could pay anything, you know, it's like it's the ratatouille moment, isn't it, when you're taken <laughs> back to your childhood. Not that I ate a lot of sausage rolls when I was a kid, but yeah, certainly yeah. when I was, you know, I was playing in pubs and clubs and things from the age of about 13 onwards. So, sure, you know, sure. you would end up eating a lot of that sort of stuff. Speaking of, like, you know, fond memories of your youth, uh, I you have a pretty close relationship with uh, James Bond. Is that is that correct? Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I- I've I've done a couple. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, One or so two. It, it wouldn't be uh, a proper interview with you, I feel, if we didn't get into uh, James Bond in general, because we are we are both like massive fans. We have a podcast dedicated to it, um, and so I guess um, one of the first things that. I'm curious about uh, because you, you worked on uh, a film called The Young Americans and, and you did a, a song for that called Play Dead, which featured, you know, Bjork on there. And yes. I, I was listening to that recently and it, it seems like your path has always kind of led to Bond in a way because that, that song sort of feels like an unused Bond song. So, you know, going from there to where you are now, did you ever think that like you'd wind up, first of all, landing the gig and then second of all, among many of the fans being the definitive bond composer outside of john barry well did i think that would ever happen yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> perfect there we go that's good answer next question well it's interesting i mean it's interesting because i would ask i mean i would ask you no i'm i will answer your question but i would ask you why do you like it you know you're fans of it enough to spend a lot of your time making a podcast and uh, yeah. You know, you obviously know what you're talking about in regards to the series, but but why 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 is it something for you? Because um, I would imagine that it's probably the same for me. Yeah, I, I'm uh-huh. right. You know, it's just kind of like the escapism, uh, be, the like how cool it is, the music, the espionage. I mean, it's like the it's just the ultimate. Um, you, you what was your What was your first one? What was your first one? My first one, I I think may have been. Um, was it Doctor No? I I think I may have started from the beginning okay. with Doctor No, which is probably in 1962. One. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yes. Uh, when <laughs> I was born. <laughs> yeah. My um, first one was actually The World Is Not Enough, and I have you to thank actually because the moment that jumped out to me was when uh, Bond Pierce Brosnan jumps out the window with the briefcase, and then you, you get that James Bond theme, and it just 
blew me away and i've been a fan well, of it since yeah i mean it's a, i mean it's the thing i think if you pick your moments for you know where, where you where you drop that thing you know because it's a massive you know it's it's the star wars fanfare it's a it's a you know it's a, it's a, it's the low string ostinato up to superman you know it's the yeah. it's 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 the brass staccato figures at the start of indiana jones you know it's like it's the moment that allows you to think here it goes here it comes here it comes here it comes and boom there it is like a roller coaster. Uh, it's it's so satisfying uh, especially when it's married to something which looks great on the screen as well um you know those kind of definitive iconic uh bond moments but i mean yeah. you know i think i saw my first one when i was seven or eight and uh projected and it was you only live twice and you know within the first you know sort of six or seven minutes of that film you you have the gun barrel you have the capsule in space mm-hmm. you have you have uh you have the giant spaceship eating the little spaceship you've got an underground uh, volcano network you've got james bond being killed uh in a machine gun to death post-corporally <laughs> and then you've got the song then you had the song yeah mm-hmm. and the, the strings and the vocal and it's like all those things the bond theme you only live twice space march oh my god in the first seven minutes yeah and, and you know i mean I, li- I you know i come from a place called called luton it's like sort of an industrial town in in uh, it's about 35 40 miles north of london uh and you know, I mean, everywhere looks exotic when you've lived there for a bit. But this was, I mean, this was extraordinary. You know, you'd never seen those sorts of things before. Uh, uh, and it was pre the moon landing. Uh, and yeah. um, it was, you know, it was, it, it was just one of those things that just took my breath away. And I remember feeling very differently after I'd seen it. I was thinking, I feel so excited by this thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've told the story a million times, but, you know, it made me want to be a part of the thing that, made that noise that made me feel like that that i mean yeah. it's, no it's incredible you talked about um how you with the james bond theme it's like your big uh like like anthem i guess uh for the series um was it difficult then doing uh because in casino royale you very deliberately didn't use the james bond theme until the end you gave us little like little hints of it throughout the score and then you get the big yeah. yeah and so was it difficult writing a bond soundtrack that had to sound bondian without using the Bond theme, I guess. What was that process uh, like? Well, I mean, John Barry did it so brilliantly, so consistently. Uh, you know, being creating a James Bond soundtrack without using the James Bond theme necessarily, even though you know it did appear in his scores. Um, it didn't feel like that because we weren't looking at James Bond at that point. Not the James Bond that we know, not mm-hmm. the James Bond that we had come to know. We were looking at the. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, someone who was becoming that character, but he hadn't become that character yet. And there was a little bit of uh, anxiety about whether we shouldn't be playing the theme, mm-hmm. because, you know, because it's sort of hard to imagine a Bond movie without it in. Uh, uh, but it did feel like once, if we had done that, then you kind of remove any sense of growth that's happening because, well, that's the James Bond theme, so he's James Bond. Um, Why is he making mistakes while we're still hearing this piece of music, which is, you know, about a faultless, you know, kind of character in terms of the character, at least. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and it'd be sending a very odd message, I think. So we sort of came to the compromise where I'd, I'd suggested that, well, how come if we, you know, what about if we sort of reward him uh with 
a part of the theme you know let him let him earn it and let him carry it around with him uh, as he does you know something which we would necessarily sort of associate with a character so you know the first time he sort of flies into an exotic location you know into the uh, into the Bahamas you know on that on that on that boat um, looking for um, you know the Shifra and um, mm-hmm. when, it, when, when he flies in there his first kind of exotic adventure uh, when he wins the DB5 for the first mm-hmm. time when he, when he puts the tuxedo on for the first time you know we see him as he sees himself for the first time in these situations and alongside that you know with the looks that he gives to the people at the time uh, you know we, we, we reward ourselves as well as him with uh, a, an element of the theme uh, and mm-hmm. you know, he carries that around with him and we don't unleash the thing until you know the great you know the line that we've been waiting for the entire film uh, mm. at the end and you smash cut to black and then the beauty of that is that then you are announcing that he is James Bond but also you announce it to black so you're not looking at the character you are subliminally i think absorbing everything that you ever felt and knew about the character is being played back to you now in this music um uh and in a way it's being you know kind of daniel's bond then absorbs all that and carries that with him for the next how many films he's done you know so um it was was an interesting exercise in 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 all sorts of regards and it wasn't it wasn't without a, a level of anxiety from you know from from some people i was never worried about it because it felt like an intellectually justifiable approach but sometimes that's not what an audience wants you know and 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 you do have to pick your moments but i think it worked you know it's uh, i think it worked and plus the fact that i kind of designed the the you know that you know my name you know the sort of musical dna of that is is you know i wanted that to feel like it was a precursor to the bomb theme right right it was it was the thing that was made of the same ingredients almost, but you know hadn't quite been refined in the same way, um, and so that was kind of the reasoning behind that as well. You know, it, it feels like it's it's uh, you know it's almost like it's twin. You know, slightly, oh, sure. you know, different enough but but related. Kind of jumping off that briefly, was Chris Cornell uh, your call on that, or was was that someone that uh, you know Eon was interested in bringing in? Uh, well, actually, it's a head of uh, the head of music at Sony at the time, um, who was very much into well, all sorts of music. I actually liked a lot of um, uh, 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 rock music, uh, and um, she had uh, she suggested Chris, and, and Chris wasn't, I don't think, on anyone's radar necessarily. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. was very, it was it was very early days, uh, and. Um, and she decided, she just said, well, what about Chris? And, and I was thinking, well, I'd have never have thought of that. But then, <laughs> but then when you think about the, you know, you think about Daniel's bond uh, and, and what he is. And I was thinking like, because before she'd made that call, I was, you know, my discussions with Barbara and Michael were, um, who are, you know, what singers are there now, contemporary singers that, are like the contemporary equivalents of, of maybe what Bruce Springsteen was in the 70s or Rob Stewart was in the 70s, you know, I suppose to tag it or something, you know, something maybe more uh, masculine as a, as a, as a voice uh, rather than delicate, sensitive, um, you know, singer-songwriter, 
um, you know that, that you know uh, that that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who sounded like Daniel Craig looked. Yeah, you know, mm. someone, uh, someone, someone that sounded like you know James Bond running through a wall. <laughs> you know, these are all things that happen, and and you think like, well, we need something to reflect that. And and, and Chris is is it was an extraordinary singer because he had all that. But he also had this incredible sensitivity, uh, and uh, he has a, a, a brilliant way with a lyric and melody, which you know. I mean, we sort of wrote independently and together at the same time. You know, we wrote bits and 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 brought them to each other, and they bits all fitted together. Uh, uh, and it was one of those things that we kind of inadvertently written the same song, slightly different. You know. <laughs> Uh, uh and and uh we we you know chris came out to the set um uh and uh, we you know we saw some of the footage and watched the uh the, the casino uh scenes being filmed uh, it was just just to get a just to get a feel for it sure. and a vibe for it and and um i'd always wanted to call it you know my name just as you know the arrogance of james bond in this film yeah he, he says you know he could say that at the end of that film, you know, when the guy says, who are you? You know, I know he says the name's Bond, James Bond, but he could equally have said, you know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? and, and that's what I wanted that to be. I wanted it to feel like it was a warning to everyone yeah. you know, to get out of the way. And it was about the arrogance of the character, you know, to suggest that, you know, I don't have to tell you who I am. You know who I am. Uh, you know, and I loved, I loved the feel of that. Um, and then, like Chris, just came up with some amazing lyrics, and uh, uh, and it was a, that was um, one of those delightful, amazing collaborations that felt like the easiest thing in the world. With, <laughs> one of the nicest people I'd ever met, and you know, sort of made friends with, and I ended up hanging out with, and you know, I he get me up when we, you know, when he did shows in the UK and London, I he'd give me a call and we go out for dinner, and then we, <laughs> you know, do the show and we do the song live, and it was. Uh, it was, um, it was, yeah, it was fabulous. Absolutely yeah. fabulous. Wow. That's incredible. So, yeah, a total shocker. Like, you know, when I heard the news about Chris, it was just unbelievable. Um, yeah. And there, you know, there's not many like him. If there's anyone like him, I'm not sure that there is. Yeah, I, I uh, completely. But I, that's what made that's what that's what made him perfect. It was Leah yeah. Volock who was the uh, head head of music at Sony at the time. Leah Volock. Okay. Uh, and um, yeah, she was she was the one who seeded that idea. Uh, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was her idea. And I just thought it was a, spe- a spectacular uh, thing to do because it was based on being right, you know, rather than being, you know, selling hundreds of millions of albums at that particular time. It was the right artist for the right thing at the right time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just sort of going off of that, I was actually just wondering what the process is for when you're selecting the person to sing the song. Cause sometimes you see like with, like the world is not enough with uh, garbage, and then uh, with like Chris Cornell in uh, "You Know My Name," you were directly involved in the songwriting process, and then because of that, you sort of incorporated that melody into the rest of the soundtrack. But then there are other examples like uh, "Die Another Day" or um, "Tomorrow Never Dies," where the studio sort of comes in and says, "We've got a different song, and we're going with yeah. that." So I'm just wondering yeah. how that works and what what that conversation is like, and uh, yeah, I mean it works. It works like that. It was. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I always, I always try and write. I always start off with the songs we mentioned earlier. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to have something written or, you know, part written anyway, because uh, that's okay. my in, you know, that's my in. And generally, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a long and complex uh, um, decision-making process, uh, choosing, you know, the artists for these things. Uh, and a lot of people have to agree on it. Um, so it's yeah. not, it's not really that simple. Um, uh, and sometimes that can take longer and sometimes it can happen quickly, but usually I have to be working on the score, you know, before those things are, are, are confirmed. Uh, and so I always, you know, try and write something which feels to me like the spine of the film, uh, mm-hmm. musically and, and get going with that. Uh, and, Sometimes the decisions come late in the day, uh, and uh, I mean, the, the, I mean, Torrent of Adage was an MGM, uh, MGM uh, more controlled, and then uh, I, once once we did Casino Royale, it was it was Sony, so it was different people, um, uh-huh. and, uh, you know. So there's, there's, there's it's uh, it's a it's a it's a complicated process, but I think everyone you know generally feels like is this the right person for this film? You know, I mean, I always feel like it's about casting, you know, could the, could the people be in it? Could the the people who are singing the song almost be in the movie? And and certainly, you know, for the ones that I had control of, it felt like, you know, it felt like Shirley Manson uh, could have uh, got rid of a few baddies with, with, with ease uh, in, in the world is not enough. And, um, you know, Chris probably could have kicked a few walls in himself. Um, (laughs) so, 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 you know, they they were always great, but the Katie Lang, you know, sung uh, "Surrender" was 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 incredible. You know, oh so, yeah, so lucky for her to to do that. And I would have, you know, I think would have done that anyway. The one I did with Scott Walker for, you know, uh, only myself to blame for the world is not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I want to write stuff, so I write it. You know, and, and luckily we get a chance to record it sometimes. Um, uh, and you offer these things up as you know an actor would do several takes, and and you know you leave it to the direction of the filmmakers to make the decisions about uh, what's best for the film because it is theirs. You know, it's a team sport, and we're all in it to make you know the film the king uh and and there's no room for you know for sort of ego in these kinds of things and and so the people that make the decisions make them you know uh for the for the for the for the right reasons and you trust them to do it um and that's the way you know that it always was you know i would trust them to make the decisions that they had to make and they trusted me to write the music for the film and I guess the beauty of it is that sometimes these things can live on outside of Bond, like No Good About Goodbye. I'd started writing a song uh, for Quantum of Solace, but I found out pretty early that it wasn't going to be uh, it wasn't going to be the thing. Um, so it was the start of something that never got finished and wasn't really presented uh, as a song. I mean, I loved the uh, you know really it was just the string figure, you know, but dee da 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 da. You know that that figure was the one that sort of got me off on it, uh, and. Then in 2009, when I got asked to do that Shirley Bassey record, I thought I'm just going to finish that and get Don to do it. Mm. I mean, so in in effect, in effect, could it have been? Well, retrospectively, it could have been, but at the time, it wasn't. Okay. Uh, and um, but obviously, you know, it's uh, it definitely um, you know uses that um, uh, uses the theme. You know, the the string that string figure. Yeah. But there's you know, I mean, there's nothing else in the score uh, that 
is anything from that song. You know, the only thing is that string figure. So mm-hmm. I kind of like that. I like that string figure. Suggested a song to me. Uh, off I went. Um, but you know, the rest of that score for Quantless Solace doesn't go anywhere near the music that's in um, uh, 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 No Good About Goodbye. Uh, even though we use the word solace in the lyric <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that yeah. was definitely looking over our shoulders but you know i was always so ecstatic to be even considered never mind asked uh you know i never took it for granted um and i was you know i think i've had is it three songs four four songs i suppose mm-hmm. on the actual on the actual film uh, so if you'd have told me that when I was eight and watching it <laughs> twice, yeah. it's blown your mind. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I love the, I love those films. I love the character. Uh, I love Barbara Michael at Eon, uh, and you know the, the the crew and the people that I meet. Uh, I, I I do you know it's a, it's it's kind of ingrained. You know the 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 Bond movies, especially in the UK. Um, you know, it was a big cultural event. Uh, you know, when, when it happened, it was very special because it always, it always used to happen at very special times of the year. And it was, you know, in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't, there wasn't, you know, the the marketing that there is now. So you weren't being told every five minutes that you know the film of the year is coming out on Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, the best film experience of the year. You know, it literally was once or twice a year there would be a huge movie that would go, oh my god, I've got to see that. And the Bond was always one of those. And when it came on the TV, it was, you know, it was, <laughs> A, it was years later. So, you know, no one had seen it. You know, if you were a child, you wouldn't have seen it in the cinema anyway. But, you know, so it was a huge thing. And, they, and, and, and you know, they used to happen at Christmas and at Easter mm-hmm. when the whole family would watch it. So, you know, it was, mm. a, it was a familial uh, um, sort of societal, you know, talking point. And, and, and everyone would watch it. And you get massive viewing things. Half the country would watch these things. Uh, and and um, you know they sort of deeply ingrained those experiences. You know you 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 know the things that you love as a kid. You in a way I think you always try and chase those things as an adult. You know you try and recreate the joy and the excitement and things that you felt. You know this is why people complain about you know food being different or you know this chocolate bar isn't the same as I remember it when I was a kid. Uh, you know that that sort of thing. You know you're always slightly <laughs> nos- nostalgic yeah. for mm-hmm. that. You know there's a level of innocence and excitement. And wonder, you know, that that can get sort of ground out if you if you're not careful. So, um, you know, I think you know my favourite part of any Bond film is 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 you know the the opening ten seconds because I, at that point I could be on the verge of watching the greatest Bond film that's ever existed. Yeah. Um, and 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 for some people it will be. You know, that film will be the best ever. Uh, mm-hmm. And the other and the other great thing is at the end. And as long as he says James Bond will return. I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess my final question is, you've kind of alluded to it in like Tomorrow Never Dies a, a little bit in some of the opening White Knight stuff, but were you ever tempted to to really full on use the 007 theme? Because we haven't really, you know, heard that since, uh, since you know, Barry tackled the films. Well, I suppose that'd be uh, the, the question you would have to ask is, why would you? Um <clears throat> Uh, and presumably the answer is for nostalgia mm-hmm. uh, because you liked it once in a film and you'd like to hear it again because you liked it then. But, um, I mean, I'm one of those people who love that, especially the first half of it. Um, you know, the build-up with the Timps and the, uh, you know, and the and the, the Glock and Woodwind figures. Yeah. Uh, and, and um, you know, that sense of something's happening, something's coming. 
Uh, <laughs> I, I loved it. But what I found that when I did consider, you know, I mean, I did consider using it a couple of times. And whenever I tried putting it on, it always felt oddly jaunty. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I, think, I think the major key aspect of it felt like uh, whatever you were looking at would have a positive outcome. You know, it didn't say danger. It said it said celebration in a way. Uh, you know, it's like a celebratory moment of, you know, he's done it. You know, and sometimes if you're laying that, you know, the first half says what's going to happen and the second half was uh oh he's done it you know and 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 unless those specific things happen in the picture uh it never it never really worked you know i mean you could probably lay some of the first half of that you know the intro section before it breaks into the major key Mm -hmm. Uh, um uh, you could probably put that in almost any scene in a bond film and it would work because it's so brilliant um but what you do after that you know, it depends on what's happening on the screen and, and, and nothing you know, I saw on the screen ever really supported the use of that, you know, the, the, the sort of major key, you uh-huh. know, the, 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 the essentially, you know, quite jolly nature of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As brilliant as it is and as much as I loved it and the films it was in, uh, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you know, you don't want to be blind to what it is that you're trying to do, which is to do the best possible thing for the film that's in front of you. So that was that was my reasoning, uh, and obviously, you know, you could ask a few of the other composers if you know if the reason why uh, you know they they wouldn't do it uh, yeah, or did yeah. do it. Um, but that, that's my reason. Good stuff. Awesome. <clears throat> well, listen, David, I know you're you're a busy guy. You got a lot of work. I really appreciate the extra time. It was honestly a pleasure speaking with you. Fabulous. Well, I hope everything's all right and um, we're clear about vegan sausage rolls. Yes, that's the <laughs> mo- that's the most important thing. I was that that was mm. just it's it was like that and then your feuds with Michael Giacchino are the two things I'm just like. <laughs> oh well, we didn't even get into that. Oh no, we oh. did it. Well, that that would have been like another like thirty minutes. So <laughs> that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. No, that I'm 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 in training for that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. Oh, wish we could be in London for. Yeah, if we, we were, I would love to love to check that out but i'll let you get back to it and uh hopefully we'll be able to speak to you again sometime all right brilliant lovely all right nice to speak to you well there you have it that was our conversation with david arnold holy crap that was a lot of fun and thank you to david once again for giving us the amount of time he did it was a real treat and we still had so many questions we couldn't even get to we just ran out of time we'll have to set up another one because i could pick that man's brain all day if you haven't already be sure to check out good omens it is now available to watch on amazon prime and it's a lot of fun i had a great time with it and i think you all will as well but the most important thing is I want to hear from you all. I want to know what your favorite David Arnold Bond score is down in the comment section of wherever you're listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network for more episodes of The Fourth Wall along with the rest of our diverse film-centric catalog. If you feel so inclined, we'd also love it if you drop us a rating or a review as it greatly helps the show out, helps us get noticed, and lets me know what you all are loving and what you think we can improve upon. Next week, we've got another great episode another long episode as well as my guest is none other than godzilla king of the monsters composer bear mccreary that was a lot of fun and i think you all are going to enjoy it as well but until then if you like me and you like what i have to say you can follow me on twitter at griff schiller all right i'll catch you next week take care